this uh, picture of Ganesh G reminds me of uh, a uh, something that is also in connection with Srimad Bhagavatam and uh, you know Ganesh is the scribe of the demigods so he uh, he records Shastra he writes things down prior uh, in earlier times things were not uh, written down they were just spoken and the people had extremely good memories nowadays we call it photographic memory uh, maybe they have a more up-to-date term for it, but uh, photographic memory, uh, or, uh, but at that time, it was just memory. Memory meant photographic memory, at least certainly amongst the Brahmanas. But, you know, photograph means a good photograph uh, that there's no other specs on it, you, you see everything, you see every dot, every inflection, uh, especially when we're talking about uh, all the uh, different uh, marks that we have in Sanskrit language, the different types of pronunciation rules. And today's Sanskrit that we use is a uh, simplified form of Sanskrit than what was there in the past. But in any case, they would say, and whatever they said was perfectly recorded and understood by disciples, whoever heard. Uh, not just, well, we have the saying, to the T. So it would, when I first heard that, I thought it had something to do with drinking tea. But uh, no, it's, there was a, uh, a perfect uh, correlation which uh, meant all the different intricacies of grammar, logic, rhetoric, uh, philosophy, and most important of all, Siddhanta, uh, that was really properly understood and it was communicated uh, and passed on like that. So in a chain of disciplic succession. Uh, unfortunately, people, uh, as Kali Yuga progressed, Prayena Kalusha Shabdha Kalu Asvin Jugejana, Manda Sumanda Mandavagya, people became uh, less intelligent. Uh, and that part of that less intelligence means that their memory really, really decreased. So with such a decreasing memory, you have to write things down. And that was Ganeshji's uh, service. Now when it came to Srimad Bhagavatam, uh, Ganesh was very eager and anxious to actually write everything down. He was so anxious that he told Vyasadeva, he said that you have to, you can't stop. If you stop, then I'll stop writing. 
I'll stop there. I won't continue any further. So, Shilav yesterday was at a uh, at a quandary. How? Because he's he's not a deva, although he's actually an incarnation of Krishna, but nonetheless he's playing the role of a human being. So he has to do certain things, you know, call of nature and things like that. You have to. You have to attend to. So, uh, but he's also very intelligent. So he told Ganesh, okay, uh, I won't stop, but you can't write anything down unless you understand it. So that means that uh, every time there was some reason that he needed to stop, then uh, he would compose things or he would say something in a very complex way, in a very convoluted way, perhaps in an indirect way, that made Ganesh stop and think and he couldn't write it down. He didn't understand it. So then uh, Vyasadeva went up, did whatever he had to do, came back, maybe took a little nap, and uh, then when Ganesh finally figured out what it was that uh, Vyasadeva actually wanted to say, because ultimately Vyasadeva is the greatest intellect, so if he wants to puzzle you with something, then you get puzzled very easily. And then finally he wrote it down and then they continued. So it went like that, 18,000 verses. And that was was Ganeshji's, you know, everyone's always looking for the, the ultimate in my profession, something that really stands out above everything else. So that was his uh, uh, greatest service and achievement to be able to write down Srimad Bhagavatam because Srimad Bhagavatam is Nimagatogalitam uh, Palam. Uh, he is the ripened fruit of Nigama, the ripened fruit of Vedic literatures. So uh, everything that all the Vedas and Upanishads uh, and Puranas want to say is very clearly and explicitly stated in Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh, and I wanted to uh, perhaps just uh, speak a little about the the principle and the tattva of Srimad Bhagavatam. So one of the verses that came very early on in the beginning uh, Seems like yesterday wasn't prepared for uh, for sort of the competition, transcendental competition between him and Ganesh uh, was in the very beginning of Bhagavatam when he says, Vedanta Tastatta Vedanta Tvadyagyanam Abhyayam Brahmeti Paramatmeti Bhagavan Iti Sabjati. So he says that the Vedanta Tattvavidam. Please, come in. Come in. I was looking to see whether you put your dhoti on or not. Vedanta Tattvavidam. Tattvadyad Gyanam Abhyayam. That the 
the purport and the conclusion of the Vedas uh, is this Advaya Gyan, uh, this non-differentiated uh, truth, uh, but which is known in three forms, Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavaniti Satyati. So the problem for Ganesh was how is one three? It says it's a non-differentiated one truth that has three manifestations. Brahman, Paramatma, Bhagavan. And so he really poured over that trying to understand now what is it uh, that Vyasadeva wants to say. And what Vyasadeva wants to say is that there is one absolute truth. And that's already declared right in the very beginning in the first verse of Srimad Bhagavatam. So, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. It starts off with that mantra. It's quite a familiar mantra. And he defines the absolute truth. John and that this is param satyam satyam param dhimahi. This is what everyone should meditate upon. This param satya, this supreme absolute truth. Now, what is that supreme absolute truth? Well, there are different opinions uh, amongst people. There are always differences of opinion amongst people. And one of the uh, reasons there's a difference of opinion is because the Vedic literatures teach different things. It's, uh, it's just like when you go to school. Uh, you progressively learn, for instance, in mathematics. Well, it starts off with arithmetic, and it's very simple. But as you go along, the 1 plus 1 equals to 2. Well, 1 plus 1 equals 2, uh, or, you know, yes, well, 1 plus 1, uh, or 1 minus 1, or 1 or 1, as 0 becomes the real principle of uh, computer dynamics. Uh, and that's how, ultimately, what is it called? The floppy, not floppy disk, but uh, the original... Uh, was a long time back when I was studying uh, computers. Uh, is actually just made of this very, very simple thing. Uh, is that uh, there are two things. It's either or. Uh, and uh, you have all these either or switches, uh, silicon uh, switches, and they go this way, that way, and that's how, that's how all these complex things go on, just like, for instance, the recording that we're doing right now. Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavaniti, Sabjati. Similarly, the Absolute Truth has different features. And a better example is that of the sun. The sun is one. But there is the sun globe. You could say there is the halo of the sun and there is the sunshine. Or for those who are more personalists, there is the sun god, Imam Vashvati Yogam, uh, who resides within the sun. 
there's the sun globe and there's the sunshine. It's all one thing, but it's manifest in different ways. So similarly, Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavaniti, Sabdati. So here he says that this one thing, this one absolute truth, is manifest in three different forms. Now it's interesting that this stumped Ganesh, because Ganesh is not an ordinary person either. He's the son of Lord Shiva. So why is this so unique to him? Is, was this really just in the language itself? Uh, or was it, uh, was it actually the philosophy that he really uh, didn't understand? Because this is the underlying basis of theism uh, and the basis of understanding, understanding the absolute truth. So there is the, we generally conceive and uh, the people in the world uh, for the most part, those who are interested in spirituality, they tend to like to think that spirit means some kind of all-pervasive energy that's within us, that's within, within everything, and that self-realization ultimately means that we all become one with. Uh, this is incorrect, or at least it's partially incorrect. So here this verse is saying Brahmeti. Yes, there's this Brahman spiritual effulgence. It is the Shakti or the potency of that one supreme in the same way as the sunshine. Sunshine is everywhere. This electricity is sunshine. Same thing. The air conditioning is also sunshine. Uh, it's ultimately the energy of the sun converted uh, into different forms uh, and manifest to us. So, but it's it's everywhere, that uh, uh, sunshine energy is everywhere, but still there's a difference between the sunshine and the sun. And then there's the sun globe. Uh, we look up and we see the disk of the sun. So, Brahmeti Paramatmeti. Uh, others have, especially yogis and so on, that the yogis, they meditate within this supreme, within everyone's heart. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, Shunichaiva Supakecha Pandita Samadarshana, that the Pandit has this real equal vision, that they see both spirit and supreme spirit within everyone's heart. So, Paramit. Paramatma, Paramatma. We are Atma. But here the verse says that there is a Paramatma, there is a Supreme Soul. So what uh, that Supreme Soul, although that Supreme Soul, when we talk about a Supreme Soul, we're really speaking about a person, a personality, who's present within everyone's heart. But it's, in, it's not in the plural, it's in the singular. Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, and Bhagavan. So how is one person in everyone's heart? The example is given again similar with the sun. The one sun becomes reflected in countless number of water pots. Any water pot, any mirror 
you look in, you see the same one sun. It's one sun, but it's everywhere. Similarly, that one absolute truth is present in everyone's heart. And from that one, that presence within everyone's heart generates such things as intelligence, memory, and uh, what's it called in English? Um, intuition, uh, inspiration. Uh, these things are called, what is inspiration? My God brother, uh, what was his name? The scientist, Sadaputadas. He wrote this fantastic short paper on inspiration. I mean, who's, who's been inspired to do something? Anything, material, spiritual. No one's been inspired. I, I think we've all been inspired. Where does it come from? All of a sudden, and it can be, they, they give examples. He gave examples of uh, some uh, scientist who was trying to pour over this extremely complicated solution and he was getting on a bus and all of a sudden out of nowhere it just came to him. The answer just came to him. He wasn't even thinking about it. He wasn't even conscious. You know, where was it that Beethoven is just, you know, sitting down and all he's just He's hearing this music, it's just coming to him and he just writes it down and he's writing, 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 writing. So we all have that experience that we get inspired, all of a sudden inspiration comes from something. Where does it come from? So it's not coming from us because often it just catches us by surprise. We're not making any particular effort for it. So it can't be coming from us, that means it comes from another source. So that higher source from which it comes, that's the uh, super soul. It's one of the things that this param atma, param means great, supreme, the supreme soul. Brahmeti, paramatmeti, bhagavan iti shabdati. Now bhagavan means supreme personality of Godhead. In, uh, throughout the Bhagavad Gita, Vyasadeva is always beginning like that. Sri Bhagavan Uvacha, the Supreme Lord said. And Bhagavan means a Supreme Person who has a form, who has qualities, who has characteristics. People become really stumped on this. This is very difficult. The Absolute Truth is a person. He has a form. He has, he does things. He likes things, he dislikes things, and so on. And the answer is yes. It's just like the sun. The sun is fixed in one place in the sky. It does have a shape. It has a form. Uh, if you accept that the sun, God, is within there, then obviously he's a person. Very different than the sunshine. The sunshine really doesn't really have any shape. It doesn't really have any form. It's energy but that energy is coming from that energetic. So, these three aspects, impersonal, all-pervasive energy, the super soul, 
who guides us within our hearts, uh, gives us knowledge, intelligence, and so on, and ultimately the supreme person who is in one sense removed from all of these things uh, and who has his own his own realm, his own pastimes, his own associates, as the Bible begins. Man is the made in the image of God. And it's, it's pretty black and white. You can't argue with it. Made in the image of God. We, we, have, uh, we have a form, we have an image, and we look something like God. We're not God, but we look something like God. And if we examine all of these three things, then we see that the Supreme Person, who has all qualities, uh, who then becomes reflected within the hearts of everyone, uh, and whose energy is manifest, is actually the original feature of the other two. The other two are simply manifestations of that one Supreme truth in the same way as the sun globe, the orb, the, the actual effulgence of the sun and the sunshine are all one, but all of them are dependent on, on the sun. So it took a while for Ganesh to put this together, but this truth is very important. And in Sanskrit, uh, there is a rule that when you have a list of things, the one that comes last is the most important. And that there is a hierarchy uh, uh, ascending through the list itself. So Brahman uh, is the less, is the, it's not inferior because it's also that one truth, but it manifests the least attributes. And the next one uh, Paramatma has more, and they all derive all of those attributes from the original source of everything, which is Bhagavan. And that Bhagavan is the Supreme Person. So Srimad Bhagavatam goes on then to describe just who this Supreme Person is, his different incarnations, how he creates this world, uh, how he ultimately winds up uh, uh, this world creates it again, and simultaneously, uh, Goloka Atma. Uh, he's uh, also living uh, in his own abode and engaging in pastimes. And he's inconceivable. Uh, he's inconceivable, just as for us, the energy of the sun is inconceivable. But if you consider that there are uh, countless universes that uh, emanate simply from the pores of his body. For us, where we're living seems to be a real serious reality. We take this world very seriously, like this is the all in all. But this is actually nothing in the whole picture of cosmic time uh, where things are created, and annihilated and manifest, and those things that remain, remain for some short little period of time. I did a, uh, I did a, uh, 
uh, vlog, little video. And uh, it was very difficult to do. Uh, I was in Mayapur at the time because I had to train an ant. And, uh, you know, an ant, they're very difficult to train. <laughs> so I had to train him to, you know, stay on my hand and not go running off everywhere on my arm. Yes, it was on my arm. So he was, he was meant to stay there and he kept jumping off and we put him back and jumping off. So the whole point was, is that, you know, when that ant is crawling around on my arm, what does he see? You know, here is, here is some, uh, you know, walking around on some sort of trees here, leafless trees. Nothing seems to be of any value over here nothing to eat. Certainly there's no ant life over here, no life of any significance, because that's all they see. And uh, similarly, we're also like ants in this world, and just because, you know, we can't see anything, that means, you know, what does the ant report back to Ant Central? You know, there's no life here. But I'm, you know, I just see an ant crawling around on my arm. So we're also, we also take our situation here in this world very, very seriously. We're actually, we're just here for a blink of an eye. Uh, it may seem like a long time. We've got 70, 80, 100 years, but that also goes uh, very, very quickly. Uh, and everything else that's here in this world goes very, uh, very quickly. But what is eternal and what stays is this one absolute truth of which we are also manifestation atma and paramatma we are the atma and our identification with this world uh, with everything that's in this world and uh, the most attractive feature of this world which is our bodies uh, which we identify with uh, that is what keeps us actually uh, turned away. We turn our backs to, to the absolute truth. So uh, this is the question, for instance, of good and bad. Prabhupada would give this example. People ask him, well, if God is the source of everything, uh, is he the source of bad as well, all the bad things that happen? And Prabhupada would say indirectly, yes. Uh, for instance, there's the sun. So if you have your face to the sun, then you're in the sunshine. If you turn your back to the sun, then there's shadow. So who created the shadow? The sun or you? It just depends on where we're staying. So yes, the sun seems to indirectly be responsible for that shadow, but actually it's our orientation that determines good or bad. But ultimately, the sun is all shine, the sun is all light. There's no shadow in the sun. So it's all light. Uh, and if we always have our face to the sun, then we're always in the light. But when we turn, then we're in darkness. And this is our situation when we identify with something other than the absolute truth, when we identify with this world, which is a temporary manifestation and everything that's in it, well, that's called maya, that's called illusion. 
and Krishna consciousness means how to get out of this illusion. And that was what Srimad Bhagavatam was really all about. I went on for uh, a while, 28 minutes to be exact. Uh, but let me just stop there. I wanted to uh, emphasize uh, this point that very often we uh, see people arguing that mostly they argue that no, the absolute truth is just some all pervasive energy. It's true, but he's not just that. That's the point. He's more than that also. Uh, and you can't just stop there. And certain scriptures, the Upanishads especially, glorify this absolute energy, but then other scriptures go on to glorify the Paramatma, and then beyond that they glorify Bhagavan. So it's just like in arithmetic, you have to see the whole picture. You can't just see part of the picture. So similarly, if we're going to quote the Vedas, we should know what the whole Vedas say, and not just what some of the Vedas say. So I can't uh, quote what my, I don't know, grade school teacher told me in grade three and take that to be the absolute truth. There, there's a lot more that I learned since then. Anyone have any uh, questions uh, uh, in regard to this that we could address? And we do have another microphone here as well, right? What are we going to follow this with? Any, uh, I mean, we're having, we're waiting for questions until everyone. Isn't this a dynamic you always have? Uh, thank you, Sahil. You saved me. <laughs> you have this all the time, right? <laughs> yeah. My question is, you know, in the search of the absolute truth, I think I'm, I'm loud enough. Uh, I can hear you. <laughs> Okay, so in the search of the absolute truth, um, the environment plays a big role. You know, uh, if you look at the news, for example, just I'm just using that as an example. That depending on where you live, maybe they're showing you two or three perspectives only. But you know, have, if you're curious or open to perhaps looking at the other side from a different country, from a different part of the world, you start to see or hear completely different perspectives. And so if the environment, the, 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 you know, the setting you're in, sometimes you want to fit in as well. Because if everyone is saying, this country is right in this uh, conflict, and everyone around you is saying it, you sometimes feel, I want to fit in. And so I'm just going to believe this to be the truth, even though there's a different perspective on the other side. So there's this conflict of, I see this a lot with people, including myself, that wanting to fit in versus searching for the truth. And I'd love to hear your view on that. Searching for the truth is for brave people. And, uh, you know, we see great people. I mean, we see many brave people in different fields of life. Uh, for instance, 
this uh, president of Ukraine is a brave man for president. Usually presidents are the first ones out of the country if there's uh, any kind of uh, difficulty. Uh, it takes a brave man uh, to stand against insurmountable odds. It takes, uh, it takes a uh, brave person, for instance, a, I don't know, uh, Edison, who invented uh, the light bulb to see things differently. Uh, in that sense also, Ford was a brave man in that, all right, I'm not, everyone else is driving with a uh, horse carriage, but there must be something better than this. So generally those people who think out of the box and are willing to take the consequences uh, because sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. You get uh, people who start a French uh, revolution and then it succeeds and then other people start resolutions and they fail and they end up in jail or they get crucified or Lord knows what. Uh, so in that sense, Jesus Christ was very brave uh, and it cost him his life. Uh, still, he stood by his beliefs, and that's, uh, I think that's a very important thing that uh, in the world that we live in today, that are, do we actually have values, uh, do we have some set values that we believe in? Please come in, we are waiting for you. Uh, are there set values that we believe in? And do we live our life by values? Or are we like chameleons changing color uh, all the time according to what the latest craze is, the latest fashion is, uh, you know, the latest thought uh, uh, is? You know, people, everyone's wearing black, so now everyone's got to wear black. Uh, everyone's wearing these type of shoes, and I have to do that. And uh, if everyone's liberal, then I got to go liberal. And if everyone's going conservative, I got to go conservative. But then I get lost. We really get lost in the picture. And that's why it's, that's what really education is supposed to mean. Uh, it doesn't mean that now, it means giving people real absolute values by which they can live. They know this, this is what life means to me. This is who I am. These are the things I believe in. And I live by these. And I'm not here to become popular. Uh, I'm not here to fit in. Uh, I'm here to actually pursue a goal, which is the perfection of life. And uh, Krishna says that uh, uh, out of Manusham, Shahasheshu, Kashid Yatati Siddhaye, Yatatam Abhisiddhanam, Kashid Mahabhiti Tatatam. Out of many, many, many people, uh, just one person will be even interested in spirituality. Out of many, many people who are interested in spirituality, only one will actually search out after Krishna, and out of many who search out after Krishna, only one will be successful. 
So you, one needs to be brave uh, in, in this world. And, uh, and it works, uh, or at least uh, it's better to perish by your values uh, than it is to, uh, that's, that's been sort of my, my motto, better that you die by your values than just be a success uh, in, in, a, in a lost world. Uh, and like you say, uh, today, especially with uh, with social media, uh, it's it's really frightening. I, I got a, a real wake up call uh, about two three weeks back. I'm conversing with the uh, uh, daughter. I'm exchanging letters with the daughter of uh, a, a devotee that I know well. And uh, she's just sort of coming into Krishna consciousness. And she said, I was walking in the park. She just also got this inspiration. And she said, I just came to this realization that I'm not a pixel uh, in a, uh, I'm not a pixel in a uh, surreal world. And I thought to myself, are you serious? Someone actually thinks they're, they're a pixel? Uh, uh, and uh, that was, you know, she just woke up. She just woke up that I'm a soul, and I'm not just uh, uh, something. Uh, I just forget what kind of world that uh, she she uh, she wrote that in. But uh, that's frightening to think that children can think that they're actually a pixel, but that's their identity. Well, that's what they associate with, and that's. That's how they communicate to each other, and that's how they express it. You know, you get all these expressions of how these pixels look and everything. Ultimately, they start identifying with them and think that this is what I am in, in, in some kind of uh, super uh, superimposed world. Never occurred to me. Ever occurred to you, John, being a pixel, being a pixel? <laughs> So, I don't know, is that what you were sort of thinking about? Yeah, and I actually had a follow-on question, which is, you know, almost 50 years ago when you uh, got your Krishna consciousness and became a, a monk, or around 50 years ago, I forget the exact date, back then the world wasn't as open or as transparent as it is today. And so I would love to hear from your perspective the, the, how you got the courage to stand by this new um, clarity that you gained. You know, it. Uh, I was uh, I was doing exactly what you were saying. I, you know, my parents emigrated. We uh, fled from Hungary, just like. People are fleeing Ukraine right now, same thing. And uh, we went to Canada, and we, I, went to, I went to school. I tried to uh, conform to uh, my uh, parents' desires, you know, that I, I perform well in school, and that I have what uh, they, really, they uh, weren't able to have. 
in, in life, a particularly really good education. One reason, I think I explained that recently, one reason uh, they couldn't have uh, that kind of education is because I came from a Jewish background. So, uh, uh, in, well, prior to the Second World War already, Jews, uh, in Hungary, Jews could not go to university. So my father wanted to be an engineer, but he couldn't be an engineer. So who was going to be the engineer? So when I got to Canada, I was going to be the engineer. And it just sort of came down to me, not in some, some way that I was being browbeaten or so on, but uh, the communication came across and there was definitely a real expectation. and and. Uh, I and I kept going along with that, uh, and I derived a certain uh, degree of uh, interest uh, uh, in it uh, and pleasure from it. Uh, but when I came in touch with Krishna consciousness, there was like someone just turned the lights on, and I started to see the difference between reality uh, and uh, illusion, and whereas it isn't that someone can't be an engineer and be Krishna conscious or be anything else and be Krishna conscious. But I realized that, well, if I'm going to dedicate myself to something, then I'd really like to dedicate myself to giving this knowledge to other people, uh, as opposed to uh, the engineers. There's so many engineers, there's no shortage of them. So uh, just another one, uh, one more, one less is going to make a difference. Uh, but in this way, perhaps I can make a uh, real difference in people's lives that will be a uh, spiritual difference. You know, we have the saying, well, I want to make a material difference. Well, I don't want to make a material difference. I want to make a spiritual difference uh, because that is who, uh, who we are. So I was just 24. That meant that meant that, you know, me and my wife sort of agreed to go our separate ways because she didn't want to pursue a full-time career as a Hare Krishna monk. Uh, my parents were certainly upset. Just imagine, I'm, I'm 24, so they must be in their mid-50s. They dedicated the last 30 years of their life, everything for me, and I just pulled the carpet out from under their feet from a material point of view, it's a really mean thing to do. And, you know, behind them stood all my relatives and everybody. So I got it left and right. But, but I was convinced I had, to, I had to do this uh, because either I do this now or I'm just going to become like this kind of puppet for the rest of my life. And I'm going to be moved by the same type of energies always being beholden, uh, is the English word, and beholden to someone somewhere. It's going to be my boss, it's going to be, I don't know, it's going to be family, it's going to be all the obligations that I have. And I particularly didn't see fam my parents, although they were extremely good people, uh, I didn't see that they were necessarily extremely happy people. And, uh, yeah, well, that was one of the last things, the conversations I had with my mother 
because uh, my father passed away a lot earlier, 20 years earlier, was when she told me, I'm not really happy with the person I am. And so that sort of summed it up. After 98 years, if you're not really happy with who you are, where have we gotten in life and what was it all about? Uh, and this is, and I'm talking about from the material point of view, really, really good people. You know, they were, you know, faultless as far as parents and uh, people are concerned. But still not. So, yeah, I I made the break. I wasn't the only one. I have, you know, here's another Chaitanya. He made the break. It's even more difficult from an Indian family. <laughs> there they really rub it in. <laughs> are they still rubbing it in? My, my parents know. My father sort of adjusted. He was very good. In fact, just uh, uh, a few months before he passed away when we met, and then I, I was there when he actually uh, left his body. Uh, I'd flown in from Brindavan, and uh, he, he, we were talking, and he shocked me. He said, you know, one thing, never leave Krishna. I didn't expect that. And when I told my mother that, like she almost fainted. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was much more spiritually uh, oriented. So, uh, but, but I think that it was worth it. In other words, I may have sacrificed uh, the desires of a family, but I think I helped a lot more families. So just because they're mine, I should abandon others. And uh, rather to see, uh, what's the saying? Kutumba? Vasudeva Kutumba. That's right. That you actually see the whole family, that Krishna's family, the world is Krishna's family. So why is one family more important to me than another family? They, they should all be equally important. Are you raising your hand or rubbing your nose? <laughs> okay, go ahead. question is about uh, your example about uh, sun and shadow. Uh, if we turn our face to sun, we will not see the shadow. But we know that the shadow will be there. And other people who look at us will see the shadow. Um, the question is, uh, does it mean that we, like um, Atma, <laughs> We will always have um, shadow if we turn our face or our mind to Supreme Personality. So the shadow will be there all the time. Well, examples always have their limitations. When you're using material examples uh, or analogies uh, for spiritual things, they have their limitation. But the point is, uh, we're not in 
shadow. So, you know, where, how does good and bad happen? The potential, that shadow is a potential. Uh, the potential to do bad is always there. It just depends on how you turn. So, so that actually the answer to the person's question is, you know, does God create uh, uh, bad? Is the bad things in the world created by God? The answer is no, God is all good. But he gives us the uh, alternative and he gives us the uh, uh, opportunity to either be good or be bad. When we follow his instruction, when we have our face to God, uh, then uh, there won't be bad. But when we become averse uh, to God's instructions, turn our back to him, then there are human beings will do all kinds of crazy things. It's very interesting, it's very childlike, childish mentality. You know, it's because when you got your face to, when good things happen in the world, no one talks about God. Everyone wants to enjoy. When everyone's having a good time, then God doesn't exist. But when all of a sudden there's bad things, then immediately we just start blaming God. And uh, it's it's a tough position to be in. You know, you can you could get a complex from that. A good thing is he's God, and he doesn't get complexes. Uh, but that people keep blaming you uh, for things. So rather than taking responsibility, rather than humans taking responsibility, they are the ones. God isn't coming and doing something bad. Human beings are coming and doing something bad. Uh, but is he meant to be interfering in everything that he does? You know, the government doesn't interfere uh, in everything that's going on in people's lives. But once they break the law, then the government steps in. So, same thing. Thank you. Uh, Hare Krishna. Beautiful to see you again. Hope we get to see you one more time. I have to carry my son upstairs to get him to bed. Yes. Okay, say Hare Krishna. His son's got a broken leg yeah. from skiing. <laughs> Hare Krishna. Uh, <clears throat> my questions around uh, my questions around free will. How much of life is governed by free will versus our sorry, I should rephrase. How much of life is governed by destiny versus our own free will? universal constantly recurring question yes they're both there we have will we do have will we have willpower and we also have destiny you know in our our culture we call it karma so karma is destiny doiva and on the other hand uh, we also have the ability to make decisions. Uh, but one influences the other. And uh, generally speaking, well, today, when uh, uh, I was at, uh, 
Gita's daughter was quoting Prakriti, Kriyamana, Nigunai, Karmani, Sharvashaha, Ahankara, Vimudatma, Kartaha, Mitimanyati. That conditioned souls, those people who are very much under the influence of their past activities, they have hardly any willpower. Uh, they have some, human beings will always have some, uh, but it becomes uh, uh, the more and more that we turn away from the sun, turn away from following God's instructions, the weaker and weaker our willpower becomes. And the more and more we're just pushed uh, by the, uh, our nature and our past uh, activities. Uh, so, but when we talk about uh, karma, we're talking about what we've done in the past. In other words, it's not some unforeseen bad force uh, and so on, but it's actually the results of our past activities, generally either good or pious. So what are we doing here? What we're trying to get spiritual strength from chanting Hare Krishna and from hearing scripture and by doing that it strengthens our willpower and we are able to stand against the pushings of our past karma and start to make good choices. So unless one is actually really connected to the laws of God uh, and connected to uh, those who present and teach the laws of God, uh, then uh, one becomes weaker and weaker and weaker and ultimately becomes an animal. So a human being loses his animal, uh, a human body becomes an animal, an animal has zero free will. So just instinctive, uh, everything that they do and everything is pre-planned. So uh, we need to, and that is the purpose of religion, and of course that is the purpose of our Krishna consciousness, uh, is to actually regain our free will when it's completely unfettered. So Krishna says then that Sagunan samatitaitam brahma bhuyaya kalpate so mamcha yoga vicharina bhakti yogina sevate sagunan samatitaitam brahma bhuyaya kalpate by the practice of bhakti yoga then saguna one comes actually becomes free completely free uh, from one's past karmic activities and then he has free will completely free you're free to choose because your willpower is not being compromised by your past activities. But this is a, uh, one of the typical philosophical questions that come up in different uh, religions uh, and the different philosophical uh, ideas. Is that all right? Uh, just like, for instance, you know, there's the mind and body problem. Uh, and uh, that's another one uh, that comes up. Jopri had uh, something? I just, I just wanted to, uh, I just wanted to ask more of the 
same question. Sorry. Um, for devotees, um, when we are initiated and we are practicing and, and everything, um, does astrology and um, birth charts and everything still affect us? Do we still, um, should we still refer to that or? Defer to it? Yeah. Uh, it can be an indication. Uh, the fact is that Krishna can change anything at any time that he wants. Uh, in, in other words, the stars no longer become effective. Krishna changes your fate. But uh, there are certainly uh, Vedic sciences. Of course, the real question is, where's the real astrologer? Because astrology is something you learn from books. Uh, just like spiritual life you don't learn from books, you learn also from guru, it has to be in disciplic succession, so all Vedic sciences uh, apply to that. It's like Vastu and everything else. Uh, these things all, you, you just don't pick up a book and then just study and read. Lovely to see you. Hare Krishna, thank you. Uh, so that's, that's one, uh, one aspect. Uh, but the other is that, uh, yes, they can give us uh, uh, an indication. Uh, Prabhupada, uh, in, in his last days, he used to uh, get devotees to consult. He said, go to, the, go to this astrologer in Delhi. He is the only real astrologer in India. Prabhupada said, what was his name? Uh, yes, I'll, I'll remember. And uh, so devotees did, and they Prabhupada got a whole list, and uh, sometimes he would ask, so he said, so let's have some fun. What do the astrologers say? And then he would be curious to see, all right. But he, didn't, uh, he didn't live by it by, uh, by any chance. On the other hand, Prabhupada had, you know, Prabhupada believed in omens. So he would never travel on a Thursday. Or if he had to travel, he would put his suitcase out the door Wednesday night. Uh, you know, if a black cat crossed the road, the car would have to back up and go another way. Prabhupada wouldn't go that way. So, uh, you know, Prabhupada was a person. And uh, he, learned, he learned these things. But at the same time, he never let them be come in conflict with Krishna consciousness. If they son said something opposite to Krishna consciousness, then he wasn't interested. So that, that it, to, to that degree, to that degree it's fine. Because if you do find good astrologer, and uh, then you know what your karma is. Uh, but that karma can be changed uh, at any time by Krishna's will uh, for one way or, or the other. How long are we going to? 8.15. Is there no more questions in the group? Any more questions? By the way, we're still here. Yes. 
prasadam, box prasadam. And uh, thank you all, everyone, for coming to our satsang. Satam prasangam amabhidya samhidu satsang. We are trying to sangha, association, and sat with, with the truth. Uh, yeah, we need to come face to face with the truth, not a belief, religion, but here's the absolute truth. It's such a rare thing. It's such a wonderful thing. Uh, and we should not lose that opportunity. That's the, that was sort of my realization. I don't know how long have I been wandering around in this world. And now I have this opportunity. What am I going to risk it for? So we don't have to become sannyasis or brahmacharis. Uh, but uh, we have to really become determined that in this life I want to go back to Krishna and that's what Prabhupada would emphasize that in this life you can go back to Krishna by Krishna's grace uh, but you have to make the effort Uh, it has to be priority Uh, you you have priorities in life this has to be the priority uh, and that doesn't mean that other things aren't important, but this is the most important thing. And and this everything is built around this. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur, you know, who was uh, Prabhupada's spiritual master's father, although he took him, you are the apples. <laughs> although he took him as his uh, guru as well. So, uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur had how many children? 14 children. Now, he was a Grihastha. He was also a high court judge. He wrote 100 books on Krishna consciousness. So, he, he wrote books. And uh, he, was, he did a phenomenal amount of preaching. And yet, at a certain point, it seemed like there was some you know, conflict in the family. I'm, you're not spending enough time at home. So, 150 years ago, or 100 years ago, to tell you know your family, uh, okay, listen, either you're going to help me spread Krishna consciousness or leave. But he had his priorities. Uh, he was very, very clear about what those priorities were. Very good. Grihastha took care of the family, provided and everything, but it was very clear what direction uh, we're all going in. And his wife was six, she was she became a great devotee, of course, Bhakti Santa Thakur, and some of the other sons as well. Hare Krishna. Thank you very much. Okay.